What you depend on matters. What you depend on matters. And whether or not we realize it, we are always depending on someone or something. Whether it's our spouse with our children, a friend who watches your dog, the grocery store to provide food, the government to take care of the roads, our job to provide us income, the police to keep law and order, the firemen to put out the fires, the automakers to ensure that our car doesn't blow up the moment we start the engine, or the architects and even engineers who constructed this church so that it doesn't collapse on us while we're inside. The doctors and nurses at the hospitals who care and provide others with surgery and medications, we are creatures that are heavily dependent on others, whether or not we realize it at times. And when we fail to depend on the right person or the right thing, sometimes it can be costly. It can be very costly. I think this is evident, but if you depend on a faulty parachute, when you jump out of a plane, it's going to cost you your life. If you depend on a doctor who is inebriated during surgery, it could leave you severely injured or dead. If you depend on a life vest with holes, it could leave you at the bottom of the ocean. What you depend on matters. And if life teaches us anything, who and what we depend on can either bring life and joy, or it can bring death and misery. And in our text this morning, the stakes are higher. Who or what we depend on will either lead us into the kingdom of God eternally, or will keep us from receiving it altogether forever. This brings us to the shortest text in Mark that we'll be covering here this morning, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. So please go ahead and turn there in your copy of the scriptures. And as we begin to unpack this short pericope, please follow along as I read our text for us this morning. Mark 10, 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. As we come to our text this morning, Jesus has just finished about talking about the issue of divorce and remarriage, and we remember this from last week. There's a surrounding crowd around him. Now in this following scene, we now see people bringing little children to Jesus so that he might touch them and bless them. And as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen children come up several times, more than several, numerous times. 
And what is undeniable as we see Jesus interact with these little children is that he cares about them deeply. For instance, going back to Mark 5, we see that Jesus heals Jairus' little daughter. He raises her back to life. In Mark 9, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. He frees him from the bondage of this demon. And then following in our scripture reading, we remember that Jesus says, those who would be great in his kingdom would serve the least of these. They would serve these little children, the ones who had no status in society. And then he even goes on to warn anyone that might cause one of these little ones to stumble and fall. So this brings us back to Mark 10, 13, where we see Jesus' care for little children once more. And as we pick up, people are bringing their children to Jesus. And from all appearances, these are regular people like you and me. They're parents, not anyone special, not anyone dignified, simply parents who want Jesus to touch their children. Now, the age of these children is not exactly certain. No doubt there was some variation in age, but verse 16 indicates that they were young enough to be held in Jesus' arms. So no doubt some of them babies. So the people bring them his children so that he might touch them. So what good did this do? Why did they want Jesus to touch them? What was the point? As we think back on what's taken place up to this point, as people are touched by Jesus, what occurs? What occurs as we think back on what happens when Jesus touches people? If we go back to chapter 1, we remember that Jesus touches a leper and he heals him miraculously. Then we go back to chapter 5. There's a woman who has an ailment of blood and when she touches Jesus, she's healed immediately. And then there's the blind man who is healed when he is touched by Jesus in chapter 8. The point being that when in contact with Jesus, healing and life occurred. Healing and life occurred. And I think people were, were aware of this great and miraculous reality as they've seen the mighty works of Jesus done. So they want their children to be touched by Jesus. They want them blessed by this one who gives life. They want Jesus, the giver of life, to give their children fullness of life. But as these parents bring their children to Jesus, something happens. We find that the disciples of Jesus were stopping the parents from bringing their children to Christ. In fact, they were rebuking these parents for doing this. They were strongly scolding them for bringing their children to Jesus. They were getting in their way. Now, why were they doing this? Why were the disciples stopping the children from coming to Jesus? And although we can't know all that was going through their minds at this point, I think we can safely assume at a minimum that they didn't think the children were worth Jesus' time. They weren't worth the time or effort they believed. Like the culture at large, 
They believed that children were more of a nuisance than a help. They didn't have anything to offer society at large. Childhood was basically looked at as a necessary evil that had to be tolerated until adulthood, when you were actually valuable and contributed to society. It probably goes without saying this, but their cultural perspective on children was unlike our culture today where children are practically worshipped in our society. But this isn't the case in that day. Not at all. In the case for that culture, children were looked down upon. They were frowned upon. They didn't contribute anything to society. They were needy. They were dependent. And they were a nuisance. So the disciples, probably viewing the children in this way with such disdain, rebuke the parents for bringing their children to Jesus. They assume that Jesus doesn't have the time of day or patience for those that were deemed the lowest in societal standards. However, Jesus sees it. He sees what's going on. He sees what his disciples are doing, and how does he react? Our text tells us that when he sees how the disciples are treating these parents and children, we read that he becomes indignant. That is, he becomes angry with his disciples. He becomes righteously angry. It's rare that we ever see Jesus get angry about anything. But here we find that the disciples' act of blocking the children from coming to Jesus makes him angry. This is telling. This is telling, and we need to pay attention. Because what we become angry about often tells us a great deal about what we value and what we care about. And although our anger is often unrighteous and sinful, mainly because it's rooted in selfishness and pride, there is a type of righteous anger that we see displayed here by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus' displeasure with his disciples reveals his care for the helpless, the vulnerable, the powerless in society. Jesus cares about these parents and their children. But his disciples, on the other hand, don't care. Don't care at all like Jesus does. They basically shove the parents and children aside and relegate them to the position of insignificant and unimportant. Now, it would be one thing if the disciples didn't know better. But if we remember from just a chapter back in our scripture reading this morning, Jesus told his disciples that whoever would be great in the kingdom of God would do what? They would welcome and serve the least of these. And he was pointing to the children. They would welcome and serve children in chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus made this point to make sure that they knew that children and those like them at the bottom of society were valuable to Jesus. They were valuable to God. But given the information that we see here in Mark, we learn that this message isn't connecting with the disciples. 
Instead of welcoming the children, what do we see them doing? Unfortunately, we see them rejecting children and scolding their parents. Their actions demonstrate an attitude of elitism, pride, arrogance, and exclusivism. And so Jesus is angered by their disregard for the children, and he takes some time here to further teach them and us about the importance of children. He says in response to their actions, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let the little children come. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It belongs to those like these little children. What Jesus is saying here is that children intrinsically Picture something about those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Children represent a category of people who will inherit the kingdom of God. So don't stop them. Let them come to me. So what exactly is it about children that they picture about those who will inherit the kingdom of God? Again, if we think about the position of children in society, where were they? In this day and age, they were at the bottom. They were helpless. They were needy. They were dependent on those around them for everything. This is, in a sense, what children pictured. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, to such like these belong the kingdom of God. These are the type of people who will be in God's kingdom contrasted with what many thought, the kingdom of God would not belong to the rich and powerful. The kingdom of God would not belong to the self-sufficient. The kingdom of God would not belong to those in prestigious positions, the proud, the royal, the nobility. No, the kingdom of God would belong to those like children. Those who knew they were at the bottom, those who were helpless, needy, and dependent, it would be filled with this type of people. So don't stop the little children from coming to me. Let them come. They are valuable. Their helplessness, dependence, and need should not be despised, but in reality, it points the way to salvation. So don't stop them. Let them come to me. As we think about this, I wonder if we've ever questioned why God designed the human race to multiply through having babies and then to have it take years for that baby to become an adult. I mean, God could have designed us more like earthworms, right? Where the adult splits to become another adult, right? We just skip childhood altogether. He could have designed us in such a way that we don't need children. But God specifically ordained for there to be children. He meant for there to be children. Why? Because children picture and they point to something. Much like marriage representing and pointing to something bigger than itself, namely Christ and the church, 
So children, in a unique way, point to something much bigger than just themselves. Children stand as an example of the kind of helplessness, dependence, insufficiency that we must view ourselves if we are ever going to belong to the kingdom of God. For it is only this type of person that will ever receive the kingdom of God. So after saying that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, Jesus follows this up by saying, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If you don't receive the kingdom of God in this childlike way, you will never receive it at all. As we already mentioned before, the disciples did not have much regard for children or appreciation as to what they represented at all. But now Jesus is saying, unless you, disciples, become like these children, you're not going to receive the kingdom either. So what does he mean by this statement? What does Jesus mean by receiving the kingdom of God like a little child? And hopefully we're all paying attention here. This is important. Because if we don't get this, Jesus is saying we won't enter his kingdom. We can't receive it unless we receive it in this way. So it's important that we understand what he's saying here. So what is he saying here? And in order to answer this, we need to think about how children receive things. We need to receive things like children do. So how do children receive things? I don't think we have to be a parent to know the way children receive things. But as I've thought about this, there are several different ways children receive things. And the first is, I think they receive things freely. As you were a kid, you receive things freely from your parents. Whether that's food, clothing, housing, toys. Young children, especially one to two years, they receive it freely and without cost. They don't pay for anything. And after all, they couldn't even pay you back if they wanted to. But secondly, children receive things in complete reliance upon their parents. And this would have been especially true of that culture. Without the parent's provision for the child, he would starve and die. Children receive things in complete reliance and trust of their parents. And then three, they receive things with no rights of their own. As we've already mentioned, children were at the bottom of society. They had no real claim on anything. They simply followed their parents until adulthood. They received what their parents gave them with no rights of their own. So when Jesus says that if we are to ever enter the kingdom of God to receive it, we must do it by receiving it like a child. In other words, we need to receive it freely in complete reliance upon the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, with no rights or claims on him. We have to receive it through him alone like a child. This is our only hope. We must come to Jesus in this childlike way, looking to him as our only hope, for there is no other way that we can receive the kingdom of God. We can't receive the kingdom through our own efforts or in independence from Christ. 
Any other path than this path laid out by Jesus will only lead one away from the kingdom of God. So according to Jesus, this is what children teach. They teach us the only way to receive the kingdom of God. They point the way towards salvation freely with no rights or claims of our own through reliance and dependence upon Jesus Christ. So after teaching his disciples this fundamental truth, he then takes the children in his arms. He embraces them. He loves them. He cares for them. And he makes it clear that he welcomes them dearly. So this is our short text this morning. Four verses, but important verses nonetheless. As we've looked at this text, how should we respond? How should we respond, all of us here this morning? And first, I want to encourage us as a church to, one, fight against seeing children as a mere nuisance or hindrance. I think sometimes we can view children in the same way as the disciples did, not worth my time or effort. But as we look at Christ and his example set out before us, we don't see that at all. We don't see that kind of attitude anywhere. In fact, he invested his time and effort in them. He cared about them deeply. He let them know that they were loved by God. And he showed it by defending them and embracing them in his arms. I think it's all too easy sometimes for us to see children as a burden and a nuisance, especially if they're with you 24-7. Perhaps even some parents this morning as you were getting ready for church and, you know, trying to get them ready on time became frustrated with their neediness, their helplessness, their whining. Shannon and I only have one son, and let me tell you, we find it difficult at times not to see him as a burden. But when these moments occur, when we are tempted to think of children as a burden, when they are constantly nagging at us for this or that, I encourage you in these moments to instead let it remind you of your constant need for Christ. For just as your children often need you, how much more do we need our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So let your children's dependence and neediness remind you of your perpetual need for Christ. For we need him every day. We need him more than the oxygen that we breathe and more than the blood that runs through our veins. Let it drive you to Christ. Secondly, I want to encourage us as a church to love and care for the children as Jesus does. For those of us this morning without children here in this assembly, know that there are children in this church that you can similarly love and care for just as Jesus did. Show the love of Christ to them as you interact with them. Don't ignore them. Don't merely tolerate them. Love them by showing interest in their life, even as Jesus does here. Seek to imitate our Savior. And as you have opportunity, I encourage all of us to point them to Christ, lead them to Christ, Speak about Christ to them and his great love for them. 
Let them know of Jesus through your actions, words, and deeds, for they are watching us. They are watching us and learning from us about the Jesus that we serve, love, and worship. So may they see his love through us as the body of Christ. For those of us that have children in our lives on a regular basis, I want to encourage you to see the great opportunity that you have before you. Children look up to you if you're in a parental role or in a teaching role. And so as you disciple children in your order, teach them that there is one that they must learn to depend and lean on that is greater and more important than you. There is one that loved them so much that he died for their sins so that they might be saved. Use your influence to point children to Christ over and over and over again. And don't neglect to care for them as God has placed you in a privileged position. And then for all the children here this morning, as I look out and I see you, hopefully you've been picking up on this. But Jesus cares about you deeply. He loves you. He wants you to know him. And he proved it by dying on the cross for all the wrong things you would ever do so that you could have a relationship with Jesus. So I encourage you, get to know Jesus. Get to know your Savior. Talk with your parents and others about this Jesus who loves you deeply and desires to embrace you. For he cares about you more than anyone else in this world. Last, I wanted to encourage our church to depend upon Christ fully and completely. Our world is constantly telling us that we need to be dependent on a whole number of things to give true happiness, to give us true deliverance and salvation, whether it's political leaders, material possessions, money, friends, family, significant other, ourselves. The message is always the same. You need to be dependent on something outside of Christ to give meaning, significance, and salvation. But what we learn from Christ here this morning is that nothing in this world, nothing can deliver us into the kingdom of God. None of these things brings salvation to our souls. They are instead like a parachute with holes or a life vest with holes that promises life and deliverance, but will end up leaving you dead on the other side. Only by depending on Jesus fully and freely and understanding that we have no claim on him can we receive his kingdom and know true salvation. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior here this morning, Come to know the one who loves you, who died for you so that you could be in relationship to him and so that you could enter his kingdom. If you do know this Savior, Jesus Christ, then I encourage you to continue relying on him, depending on him in childlike faith. Don't be sidetracked by the kingdom of this world and its concerns. If you truly belong to Christ's kingdom and have received it through faith, then be concerned about his kingdom work on earth here and now. 
Be concerned about reaching your neighbors, your family members, and co-workers with this message. Receive the kingdom through Christ the King. May our concern for those in our local vicinity be greater than our world's concern about politics and government. And may this concern drive us to prayer. Pray that God's kingdom would be expanded more and more as people receive the kingdom of God through accepting Christ the King. So as we close this morning, we remember that Christ alone can deliver. So may we come as the church to him in childlike faith and dependence and look to him even now.